Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Shooting Through with Cheryl Ryan from 123 Travel. Located right in the heart of Budrum on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, just minutes away from the beach. As a local resident and owner of 123 Travel, I've been blessed with travelling all over the world to some incredible destinations. So wherever you are, relax and let me take you on a journey. Welcome to this week's episode of Shooting Through. I'm your host, Cheryl Ryan, and this week we're heading off to the City of Dreams in Mumbai, located in the southern state of Maharashtra, considered India's financial powerhouse and home to Bollywood, fashion and some of India's biggest slums. However, here you can uncover a city filled with some of the best colonial era architecture, unique bazaars, hidden temples and a fantastic nightlife. Where to start in this incredible city? I think it's important to understand the foundations of this city and how it is designed, with a population of around 20 million people and only second to Delhi, it is a large area to explore. Mumbai began with seven separate islands, all independent and under control of of their successive indigenous empires. Around about the 18th century, Mumbai was reshaped with roads and rail bridges to connect all the islands. In 1947, the city was incorporated into the Bombay Bombay state and later in 1960, a new state of Maharashtra was created and Bombay became the capital, a wealthy city with the greatest number of millionaires and billionaires amongst all the cities of India. Mumbai is home to several UNESCO sites, which I'll discuss later, but firstly I thought I would take you along to Leopold's Cafe. I'm not sure if you've ever read the book Shantaram. It was written by an Australian by the name of Gregory Roberts. It is a 2003 novel and it's based semi-factual on Roberts himself, a former heroin addict and a convicted bank robber who fled to India after breaking out of jail in Melbourne. It is set in Mumbai and the characters regularly visit Leopold's Cafe. I love to visit this cafe for a coffee or pop in for lunch. The food's well priced and it's located walking distance to the Indian Gate and directly located behind the historical Taj Mahal Palace Hotel. The hotel, along with Leopold's, were both targets of the 2008 terrorist attacks. The area around Leopold's Cafe is a good spot for some shopping and also the perfect place to start a walking tour to take in around seven of Mumbai's best architectural creations. Allow yourself the best part of the morning, although you could cover it in two hours, I would probably allow morning really. The Taj Palace Hotel is one of the most beautiful hotels. It was built in 1903 with the old section still intact and a new section built after the bombings in 2010. Worth a visit, as it is like a fairy tale hotel in design. I stayed there a few years back and arrived several hours after Prince William and Kate had just checked out. Of course, there was just enough time for them to clean the room, ready for my arrival. How I wish to dream. My room, however, was very elegant and I loved that each day, When I came back, that rose petals were placed on the marble entrance in all different and beautiful designs leading into the room where a small gift would be left for me to discover. Small things 
but I still got very excited each day on my return to wonder what I would find on arrival at my room. So back to our, our walking with the first stop being the Gateway of India, an arch monument built in the early 20th century to commemorate the landing in December 1911 of King George and Queen Mary, the first British monarch to visit India. The gateway was finally finished in 1924 and it stands at about 26 metres high. It's located on the waterfront in South Mumbai and it overlooks the Arabian Sea and is one of the most visited sites in Mumbai. From here you can hire a boat or take the ferry out to Elephanta Island and that is around 10 kilometres and it takes you about an, uh, about an hour to reach. So Elephanta Caves, as mentioned, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and they're a collection of cave temples predominantly dedicated to the Hindu god Shiva. The archaeological remains uh, reveal evidence of the occupation from as early as the 2nd century BC. The rock-cut caves were constructed around the 5th and 6th century AD. The most important cave, and one which measures about 39 metres from front to back and roughly around 27 metres across at the back of the cave, they're absolutely huge. There are rows of six large columns that support the actual area inside. And as you enter the first cave, you'll notice there's a seven-metre-high masterpiece that represents the three aspects of Shiva. One, the creator, two, the preserver, and three, the destroyer. The layout of the caves, including pillars, the placement and division of the caves into different parts, and the provision of a sanctum are all important in the architecture development. Allow a good half day to visit the caves and I would recommend the best time to do this would be early in the morning. One being due to the heat of the day and secondly I've found the ferry crossing coming back is often rougher and much busier later in the day. So if you're not good with um, your water legs like me. Food is also not great out there on the island so it's always good to come back in perhaps for a late lunch. And the other important thing to consider when visiting the caves is that the stairs leading up from where the boat arrived is quite steep and long. So if you've got dodgy knees or struggling with climbing stairs, then you may want to um, perhaps reconsider visiting out here. Once back on the mainland, take some time out for lunch. There's plenty of great options and a great spot is the trendy area in North Mumbai. Speaking of lunch, you will no doubt um, spot the... Dabawallas, as they're called, at work, especially around the train station between 11.30 and 12.30 every day. The Dabawallas are the people who offer the lunchtime delivery service. They take meals from homes to office or hotels to workers all over the city in tiffin boxes, which are like little metal tin lunch boxes. About 5,000 Dabawallas deliver around 200,000 Dabbas a day just to give you an idea. So each person delivers around 35 to 50 per day via train or bicycle. The whole delivery service is a privately owned company. So whilst checking out the Dabawallas, you can take a look at the Victoria Terminus, another landmark, and it's now called the, here we go, this will be interesting, it's called the Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaji Terminus. I'm only going to say, try and attempt that once. A gothic-style building with around 2,000 trains and 3 million passengers passing through the city. It is also one of the city's UNESCO World Heritage Sites 
And with the amount of trains and people, it can be extremely busy and uh, especially around lunchtime when people go and visit and check out all the Dabberwallers coming and going. Just avoid the peak hour times in the morning and in the evening. You cannot visit Mumbai without perhaps seeing the biggest human-powered washing machine. Uh, this is something I love to go and watch when I'm in Mumbai. It's the Dobie Gat. It's about 140 years old and has around a thousand troughs and, a, and hundreds of workers who beat the dirt from thousands of kilos of laundry from the Mumbai population. It's uh, done by men, so the men work all day washing and beating the dirt out of the laundry, and it's estimated that each day half a million pieces of clothing are sent back there from hotels, hospitals and homes. The process looks very disorganised, but in actual fact it's very efficient with the clothes all being sorted, then soaped, beaten and rinsed and washed, and finally ironed and pressed for return. Every piece is coated on the back of each garment so they know who belongs to where and what and they're all delivered back safely. So from the laundry we head off for some local entertainment, Bollywood dancing lessons. You can't come to Mumbai without a Bollywood dancing lesson. So book yourself in for some Bollywood dance lessons. Great fun and a good workout to reduce some of the calorie intake from all the wonderful food you've been eating. I personally would not bother with a full Bollywood tour as the distance to travel to visit the sets is usually quite a lengthy bus or taxi ride out of the city and you're not really guaranteed to see things in action or any major actors. However, the Bollywood dancing is great fun and more so if you have a group of friends or family to share it with. So the other um, little interesting place to visit is Gandhi's House and Museum, which is set in a small, modest two-storey house located in a quiet, leafy side street, and it served as his headquarters whilst he was in Mumbai. The museum tells his story from agitator through to world figure through a collection of incredible photos. The photos depict his life from childhood through to his assassination. The second floor shows Gandhi's room with a simple bed, spinning wheels, and a book, not too dissimilar to the room of Mother Teresa in Kolkata. Very humble and simple. Moving on to Mumbai markets, where you'll find some great places to visit. One of the best markets to head to is the Crawford Market. It's the largest in Mumbai and contains the last touches of British Bombay. A great collection of fruit and vegetables, along with meats, fish, and a good collection of spices. For those that want to experience a real Mumbai at its best, I would recommend doing an early morning with a wonderful tour company called No Footprints. Owner Harsh picked me up early in the morning from my hotel at 5am and our first stop was at the fish market at Sassoon Docks. This is one of the oldest docks in Mumbai and it's also about to undergo a facelift over the next few years. It officially opened in 1875 to the public and it's located in South Mumbai. I would not attend the docks without having an official guide as it is incredibly busy and uh, it's certainly not for the light-hearted or those not keen to undergo the awful fish smell that is constant and very heavy in the air. The renovations will relieve the odours but it does concern me that it may lose its character. But in saying this, the current situation is quite bad and the outside area of the market is filled with leftover fish being sold to locals from mats on the ground and rats are present and the hygiene leaves a lot to be desired. So perhaps it will be a nice thing to see it all renovated. Daily there's about 
1,800 boats that operate out of the docks and about 100 boats selling 20 to 30 tonnes of fish every day. Hundreds of buyers coming and going, carrying off their buy in colourful baskets on the heads of fast-moving ladies. Change is coming and some are not happy about it, but it is needed and let's just hope it's without loss to the local collie fisherman's income. Once we left the fish market behind and peeled off my shoe covers, which I was great to, grateful to have worn, we headed to the morning paper delivery area, which is established along the front of the street under an awning area. The papers are produced in around 30 plus languages and are all delivered by bicycle or rickshaw. The men sit together, handwriting the delivery addresses, and they sit sipping on their chai, chatting. They are all done by 9am and the area is cleared and cleaned, ready for the shop owners to open their shops. It gave me a new appreciation for my paper on my bed when I returned to the hotel later that morning. I felt like packing it back into my case and bringing it home. Next stop was the flower market, which was a spectacle of colour and smell. It was probably one of my favourites to drop by for a visit. Flowers are such a big part of the day for Indian people as they are used in prayer, weddings, festivals and of course in the hotels and restaurants throughout the day. You may remember me talking about the Rambug Palace in Jaipur where they use about 40,000 flowers every day in the hotel. So you can see the popularity of the flower markets. The local people tend to buy their produce daily and they have it all delivered to their homes by buyers. I was quite surprised to see that people buy their fresh milk in bags as they do not trust buying milk in a carton. I was a little amused that many of the people do not think something that can last for such a long time in a carton and therefore would prefer to buy their milk fresh daily. They see it as a bit of a frightening thought that something's in a carton and lasts that long that can't be good for you. For a couple of other places to visit whilst in Mumbai, you can take a drive along Marine Drive and check out the main beach or take a walk along there. Visit the local Prince of Wales Museum or the Museum of Modern Art Gallery. You'll need to check the opening hours and uh, because most of the museums closed on a Monday and they're closed on some other days of the week as well. They both offer a great collection of artefacts and artwork and you can easily spend several hours at either depending on your interest. Headsets are available in English uh, which can be very beneficial in understanding each piece. The last piece of information I'd like to share is regarding the Parsi population in Mumbai, which is still very strong but fast diminishing in population. Descendants of Persia, who migrated to India in the 7th century and settled in Mumbai around the 17th-18th century, proving to be very astute business people. They had a strong relationship with the British and soon became powerful in their own right. They owned large quantities of land and established trusts and estate built, estates built around their temples. The Parsi population has now decreased to around 30 to 40,000. One of the most famous aspects of the Parsi religion is their funerary methods. They do not cremate their dead, but instead the corpses are laid out within the high towers called Towers of Silence to be picked clean by vultures. One of these is located on Malabar Hill in Mumbai, but of course it is off limits to the tourists. However, traditions are being eroded with the city's population increase and the decrease of vultures due to this urban growth, which has driven many of the birds away. Therefore, they have implemented methods using natural decomposition of their dead with solar power and chemical methods. Although small in population these days, they still hold a large wealth in Mumbai.
I would allow three days minimum when you want to explore Mumbai completely. And if you have some allowance for more time, then that would be even better. Five days would be just wonderful. There is so much to see and so many things to do in this amazing city. So do not cut yourself short on your visit. I hope you have enjoyed learning more about Mumbai and this wonderful Bollywood city and consider visiting sometime down the track. A great add-on to this incredible city is to link a visit to nearby Goa, a beachside Indian experience with a Portuguese influence. However, I'll leave Goa for another episode. I hope you've enjoyed this week's Mumbai episode and I look forward to taking you off to the Indian Hillside Stations tour next week. That's all from me this week. Thanks for listening and remember, if you want to support the show, then share, subscribe and leave a review or comment. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at 123TravelBudrum and on Twitter at 123TravelAbout. You can also find all my episodes and loads of great travel information on my website at 123travel.com.au. I look forward to having you join me on the next episode of Shooting Through.